Traveling to consciousness, exploring spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty. Up, Conscious Monkeys. Welcome to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. I am your host, Clay Kuteri. On today's episode, we have the host of the Psychedelic Entrepreneur Podcast. She's a spiritual business coach, if the name of the podcast didn't give it away. <laughs> and her mission is to help people start and grow their spiritual business. So Conscious Monkeys, welcome to the show, Beth Weinstein. Beth, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I love the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> it came Conscious to be one time. Monkeys. It came to be one time. I was just like, I have to, the audience got to be, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. We're all monkeys. All right. End, right? Just, just monkeys with like a little bit more self-awareness. <laughs> <laughs> a little, just a little just more a little. maybe. <laughs> just a touch. <laughs> uh, but that's a pretty deep rabbit hole in itself, right? The levels of like consciousness exactly. and everything. <laughs> and so would that be something so like how did this whole psychedelic entrepreneur thing kind of start like what how did you did you take i know you're into ayahuasca and plant medicine did it like just speak to you in one of these ceremonies you were like we need some spiritual business coaches out there kind of yes the the short story is yes um you know, it was interesting. I was just talking to someone yesterday about my path. Uh, I grew up in the Bay Area outside of San Francisco, and I took my first hit of acid when I was 14, and now I'm in my mid-40s. And that that first trip, uh, it's a long story, but I ended up spending the entire trip by myself, laying in my bedroom on my bed when my parents were like right down the hall from me. Um, because I didn't really know what I was getting into when I took that hit. And then it kicked in by the time I had a a curfew. Um, and so I always blame that whole trip for just taking my life in this, this completely odd direction. Um, that and a kind of a spiritual activation I had at a pretty young age, but speaking of young age, uh, so growing up in the suburbs of California, me and my best friend, we were little kids and we would play these games And our favorite game was called City. We actually never played house. We played um, City. And we used to pretend that we were these business women that would fly all over the world and like jet set and have businesses. And at that very young age, around like seven, eight years old, I always felt that I was here to be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what that really meant. I didn't know what kind. I didn't know what was coming for me. But there was this part of me that just knew you know, I wanted that, that kind of that freedom at a pretty young age. Um, so then, you know, fast forward many, many years, I, I wasn't an entrepreneur at the beginning. I went through the whole, like, you know, go to college and get a job and that's what you do. And you you suck it up. Right. And like, I was programmed to believe that that was just, you know, cause that's what my parents did. It's like, you just make it. And, um, you know, I fell into business coaching through two other businesses that I had started after I did this whole like corporate career. And then I went from corporate into tech startups, which was definitely a lot better than corporate, but it was still like kind of the same game of, you know, working for others and not really being fulfilled and making other people's dreams their reality and not really fulfilling my own dreams. So I had launched a business. I had actually, um, you know, I'd spent most of my teenage and 20s, 
even in my 30s and even in some cases up until recently, um, you know, going to a lot of dance parties. I was I grew up like as a rave kid in the early 90s and was part of the whole rave scene for a long time. And of course, then I got more into psychedelics and, you know, different medicines, as we would call them now. But back then it was called ecstasy and, you know. Um, <laughs> a little now bit more it's MDMA. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, you know, through this path, I, I actually went from going out partying a lot. I was living in New York City at the time uh, to actually taking up running marathons and ultra marathons. I got into endurance running because the feeling that I had when I first ran a race, which was a 5K, was the exact feeling I had that I remember feeling dancing on ecstasy. So I made this really? connection that, oh, wait, you could get the same high from running. And it really is true. Like that runner's high is a very real thing. So I got, you know, I, I knew I couldn't just party all the time. You know, I, there was some awareness of always being healthy. I grew up playing sports as a kid, even though I was smoking weed and doing drugs, I was still playing soccer and, you know, softball and field hockey. And so I took up running and I got really into it. And at one point I started dreaming of this running apparel company because at the time they had not made anything for like urban women. Everything was really designed for men. So I, and I had been working in the fashion industry, which is like probably the worst industry to be working in period. Um, but I ended up long story short, creating this running apparel brand at the same time that I was going through this really intense spiritual awakening. I had quit the corporate career. I lost my father. I had moved to tech startups and changed, like gone through all these big changes in my life. You know, and this of course, you know, happened right before, um, it was happening in like 2009, 10, 11, big spiritual awakening, you know, which I had always been on this deep path from a pretty early age. Um, but while I had had this running apparel business, people used to come to me for help all the time, like over and over and over asking me, how did you start your business? How did you start your business? How did you start your business? And so I was doling out free business advice for years. And then people started saying things to me like, hey, have you ever thought of just making this your career? Like, you know, you could help people start businesses. And I'm like, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a coach, like a business coach. I was like, what do you mean? And people kept saying, oh, you should be a career coach. And I was like, no, I don't believe people should go have corporate careers. So I don't want to help them get a job. Um, so, you know, through all this, through all these transitions and following my dreams, I was, you know, I had already shifted out of like the party drug atmosphere and more into the intentional use of psilocybin and then ayahuasca and festival life, you know, raves turn into more conscious festivals. And, you know, it's like this was all coinciding with me, like my own personal growth and spiritual path and, and awakening. And then, um, you know, it really was one of these things that just started kind of coming through in messages. Um, at first, it was like these messages around what would it be like to just help your friends and get paid for it? And it, I remember I had this very clear vision of like... <laughs> It was a very strange vision. It was like me dancing around in these beautiful fields, but it was like helping a bunch of people I knew. Were you sober? Helping them. Um, no, I was. It was under the influence of ayahuasca. Okay. <laughs> but it was a. It was such a profound vision that I actually decided to give it a try. 
I was like, well, what if I just tried helping people I knew for fun and then starting to charge money and seeing what happens? So that's kind of how I started business coaching. I actually got my first client because people kept coming to me for so much help that I finally was like, look, why don't you pay me? Because this is the only way you're going to get results. Because previously I'd been helping people over and over and over, but you know, one coffee date or one phone call only goes so far. You know, I would run into people a year later and they'd are like, you know, given up on their business already. So this is how I got my first client. So I started helping people and then I kind of made it official and, and just turned it into a business while I was running my other business. And then um, after about two years in, I, I don't know how it happened, but I had just gotten a client who um, also worked with ayahuasca and I didn't know who she was. She was actually Australian. And I remember being able to openly discuss these experiences and integrate them into what she was doing, you know, starting up a new business and going through a lot of transitions in her life. It just felt so freeing to be able to speak openly about my path and for her to speak openly to someone about, you know, going into ayahuasca ceremonies and having these profound, you know, visions and, and like realizations. So I started noticing this, this kind of need for people to be able to talk to someone about it, but also weave it into what they're doing with their work. Because yes, there's people that go do psilocybin or ayahuasca or DMT or whatever it is. They might have these realizations, but they then go back to the same old, same old, right? Like the rat race or the misery that's being, you know, done over and over and over in their life. And what I saw even within my own community is that people would go go head towards these big peak experiences or spiritual seekers or take up meditation or go on silent retreats or whatever it was. But then they would just end up in the same pattern over and over and over. And a lot of it, you know, especially living in New York City, a lot of that pattern was people who hated their career and hated their jobs and like weren't happy and they were just trying to get by and trying to survive. So it, it actually did then start coming to me through um, medicine work. But what was interesting, you know, I kept getting these visions of speaking publicly about this interconnection between psychedelics and awakening to doing more fulfilling work. You know, sometimes I call it purpose, like finding your purpose. But really it was about the fact that, you know, we're in the Western world. Most people I know have to work and make money somehow. I mean, I'm friends with very few people who are born rich, you know? So this is the reality, like the, you know, money still exists for now. And so we have to do some kind of work and there's so many people doing work that's really misaligned with what they're feeling in their heart. And so I kept getting visions over this. And here's the thing. I wasn't one of these people that just got the vision and then went and did it the next day. I actually sat with this and it kept coming to me for about two years. Um, and I, you know, at first I was actually in disbelief. I was like, there's no way I'm going to speak publicly about this. I mean, this was back in, you know, 2016 and 17 before it became very mainstream, but it was like at the beginning of some of the news coming out. Right. And I was really scared, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble or I'm going to get, you know, arrested, even though it's not illegal to talk about it. You know, there was all those, those fears. And then of course, what will people think? A lot of people didn't know this about me. I was always a little cryptic in the way I communicated. Like I would say certain things like I, I just went to Peru for a really deep, retreat in the jungle for two weeks. Like 
you know, you either know what that is or you don't back then. Um, so then around 2018, a a good friend of mine, his name is East Forest. He does, you know, this amazing music. He's a a pretty well-known musician in kind of the psychedelic spiritual space. Um, it was very interesting. You know, I used to sit in these psilocybin ceremonies with him and we were friends. And then in 2018, I think it was late 2018, he announced that he was putting out an album called Music for Mushrooms. And that was right around the time where I was like, I'm either going to do this all or nothing. Like I either got to just go all the way or just like not do it at all. And the week I made the decision to do this whole summit around psychedelic sacred medicines and purpose was the same week he came out with an album called Music for Mushrooms. So we both kind of came out of the closet very publicly around the same time. And it just felt much more validating. And then all of a sudden, you know, next year, 2019, the mass media started blowing up with psychedelics, psychedelics, psychedelics. And now, you know, a few years later, it's everybody's mom is talking about it. So, right. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's a long story, but it's it's been a big path. Uh, no, life don't path. worry. I've got a lot of questions there. We can unravel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the first one kind of ending where you kind of came from there is, you know, you're getting like this push to it. You know, you were getting these visions, you were getting like signs from the universe, let's say to push you in this direction of being the psychedelic entrepreneur. Now, you know, I've, I felt similar things like that where it's to do stuff or hell, even get out of bed. You know, sometimes it's like, ah, no, but I don't want to. And you get a couple pushes and enough pushes. You're like, all right, fine, I'll do it. You know? And so I'm curious, what do you kind of like, what do you make of that? Like, do you think that you were like at some level waiting for the right time? Do you think that you needed to have those like incremental pushes? And once you had the, I don't know, 10th push that was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And like, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, okay, we're going to give Beth this information. And the first time we tell her, she's going to go do it. Like, do you think you needed those extra pushes to finally get you there? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's funny. Cause, um, you know, yesterday when I was talking to this, this friend of mine, I was like, I really believe that I was given my whole path, you know, from a really young age of working with psychedelics to do this, you know, on some level. So I do believe the soul is born, you know, with this kind of like predetermined plan. And of course, then we have, uh, you know, free will thrown in. Um, I also know that a lot of these medicines, doesn't matter which one they are, but, you know, psychedelics or any kind of mind altering anything, um, it does take a lot of discerning, right? This is kind of like, we hear this a lot, you know, especially lately, this is like someone who does a bunch of mushrooms, maybe two times, three times. They have these profound experiences and they're told, you are now meant to serve mushrooms to people in ceremonies. And then they become mushroom shamans after two sessions. We all know that this happens. And, you know, that's where I always say, like, we have to be really discerning on, is this my ego or my higher self? Is this really truth? Or is this this part of me that's like an ego part of me telling me to do something? And so when I had these visions, I sat on it and I was like, is that really real? Like, cause I actually thought it was just this like ego part of me that, that maybe like didn't know any better. You know, I was like, why would I talk about that publicly? Or why would I, um, you know, put people at risk or blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think for me, you know, certain things have to come through multiple times for me to know that they're really true. And then what I usually do now after being through many different experiences like this is to really bring it more into a contemplation. 
like uh, curiosity, like what if I actually could get paid to do what I love? Or what if I really was a healer, you know, like people or, or, you know, even people that get this, like, you're here to be a shaman after like drinking ayahuasca one time. It's like, okay, well, maybe bring it into a prayer and a contemplation and work with it and see how it unfolds. And maybe you are getting a true call. You know, they say the medicine calls you for whatever it is, you know, it's like, and I think, I think that's what was happening to me on some level, but I was really hyper aware of like, if this is really my path. I, and honestly, when I launched my first summit, when I finally did the big, like coming out and did this whole big summit around it, I genuinely thought there would be like 50 people that were interested. I, I genuinely was like, okay, I'm doing this just for myself. I'm doing this because I keep getting this desire. And if I don't do anything with it, I'm never going to know how it goes. So when I did it, I actually was like totally prepared to be rejected and made fun of and not have anyone sign up for it. And when I asked all the speakers, I was like, oh my God, these people are going to think I'm crazy. But uh -huh. honestly, like they loved it. You know, it's like Rick Doblin said yes to being on my first summit. And, and wow. it actually came through that a lot of these people are like, you know what? Yeah, we do need to talk about how psychedelics affect daily life or your, your work or your business or your, you know, your career path. Um, but yeah, I do feel like on some level there's this kind of like dance between like, what is the truth, true path of the soul versus like, you know, maybe the ego that wants to, you know, get involved or do something for the wrong reasons. And I've always just tried to be very aware of like, keeping my ego in check. I mean, with everything I do, <laughs> like calling myself out on things, you know, like, okay. But I think what we see out there, especially in this world that we're in now is like people get, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about like narcissism. People get, you know, their egos get inflated or they don't really have a proper integration um, practice. So they just get like looped into these beliefs that are very, um, very often, you know, the, the whole magical thinking or magical beliefs. Right. Without and who's to say what's grounded. right or wrong. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Very ungrounded. Yeah. So, and you, you know, it's kind of this dance. Yeah. And I think it's a fascinating way you put that because I think I've noticed that myself where there is almost this dance of you know, here's my, let's say almost logical mind. And then here's my higher self mind. And quite frankly, there's times where I think to myself, like, am I going like schizophrenic? <laughs> I'm like, is this, is this, am I, am I talking to my higher self or am I kind of just borderline going insane? <laughs> so, <laughs> so is that kind of like what you're alluding to? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I think it really takes discernment. I mean, it's been interesting to be on this path for so long. And then also, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm around a lot of people who work with these medicines just in general. And it's like, yeah, once in a while you see someone that's like, you know, there's, they're still kind of high in the morning and they're like, I am here to do this and then, you know, and it's like, okay. And then give it a few days and reality kicks in. And then it's like, okay, you can like, it, it's like, don't quit your job. Don't, don't divorce your husband. Don't, make any brash changes within like a day of doing one of these powerful psychedelics. Um, but this is where having a practice, like really being um, self-aware, aware of your mind, aware of how the mind plays tricks on you as well. And also like being discerning and like get curious around it. Like that's to me, it's like the soul 
the soul's path is going to pull you there anyways, no matter what. So maybe if some big thing comes through, it's like, okay, yes, you can make huge changes within the next 24 hours, or you can try to like work with it and be discerning and be inquisitive and get curious. And also like, I'm really big on bring it into a, a prayer or an intention. Like, okay, if I'm here to be a psychedelic business coach, um, show me some signs or let it unfold or, you know, like work with me here. And that's kind of what actually started happening to me. It was like, I was just getting people on this path as clients anyways. And then I was like, well, maybe there's something to this. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting dance. And I think I, and I know that same feeling of like, am I really going insane? You know, I mean, because especially with these medicines, like they, I mean, while I do love them and I think they're very healing and profound, um, they can be quite trickstery too, you know, especially if you're like ungrounded and not very self-aware and you don't have a practice of observing your mind. It's like, yeah, this is, this is how, what they're calling it's like narcissism and psychedelic world. Like this is how it comes about. It's like, because people are just like, you know, yeah. like, next, 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 next. But well, and that's kind of a great point because I remember hearing somebody talk about this in the space. I don't remember exactly who it was, but they were talking about this. How did she describe it? It was along the lines of, you know, there's like a subculture where it's just like, Oh, I'm going to do a ceremony this weekend. And then next week I'm going to do this ceremony. And then the weekend after that, I'm doing this ceremony. And it's like, yo, I did, I've done three ceremonies myself, uh, psilocybin, also psilocybin. It's like, I need a couple months at least to just like fully let everything that I learned, like unveil itself. It's like, oh shit, like that relationship is because of that. Or I've been viewing this because of this, you know what I mean? And it's a long process to integrate that it feels like is almost Maybe there's just a subculture that doesn't, you know, acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was just talking about this. Um, where was I? I think it was actually on a different podcast interview. It's funny. I, I, so there is a huge culture out there like this. I didn't even realize it because me and the people I know are not like that, you know? I mean, maybe, but then again, I look at myself 10 years ago and it's like, well, I was, I was pretty, like, I jumped right in. Um, but yeah, there are people that are just like on to the next, on to the next peak experience, peak experience, peak experience, like bigger, bigger, bigger. And it's a very, you know, it's a very Western way of living, right? It's like, we just want more and more next oh, yeah. and next and the cure, the answer. I mean, this is why I'm constantly saying it's like psychedelics are not going to cure you either. Um, but yeah, that is one of, it is a culture. There are people that are constantly seeking you know, the next big thing or the next big experience and maybe not taking the time out to integrate it, you know, like what is true integration. But I have a theory that <laughs> it'll catch up with those people because it's not, it's not really sustainable. You know, it's kind of just like masking, it's masking another problem or another wound or, you know, it's like people say, oh, I'm just, I'm just healing. But if you're drinking ayahuasca every weekend or doing psilocybin every weekend, like, is it really healing or is it just escaping? Um, it's likely filling a actually, hole that is empty from something yeah, else. Yeah, totally. And that's, you know, our society, it's it's really interesting with the whole mainstream media and psychedelic growth. It's like, oh, this will heal depression, PTSD, anxiety, you know, everything. And then I'm like, well, wait, what is at the root of the depression and anxiety to begin with? Why don't we explore that? Because if you don't get to the root, it's never going to fully heal. 
And there's only so much ketamine you can do to, to, you know, like heal the depression. It's like, you have to go into this and you you can't just use psychedelics to mask it. And not to mention, and maybe this is a little disingenuous because they call it magic mushrooms, but it's like, (laughs) you know, it, it is, let's say it's magical from the standpoint of where modern medicine currently is. It is magical in that sense, but maybe the catch 22 of it, the shadow side of it is that it's putting that label on it almost makes it seem like it's going to fix everything. And if you do that, it takes away from your individual ability to integrate and to have a beautiful experience without it, because you can very much, very easily, like you said, with running, I've noticed it with breath work. You can very much get, for lack of a better term, get high on life. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. That's why. Yeah. Um, (laughs) sorry, go on. No, go ahead. I, I thought you had something to say. Yeah. That's, that's why I say it's, you know, people that are just seeking these huge peak experiences, like all the time, um, maybe masking something. I do believe it's somehow going to catch up. You know, it's like, there's only so much of these, it's like anything in life, like overdoing anything. In what way do you think it'll catch up? In what way do you think Um, that'll happen? (laughs) So you might enter into like a really dark night of the soul kind of experience, you know, which a lot of us, I'm sure everybody listening has had at some point or another, but, um, you know, I believe the the soul will give you some kind of an experience to truly heal it if it's bound to be healed. And, you know, while I love psychedelics and plant medicines and all these, you know, tools, breath work, whatever, um, you know, if, if you're not actually taking the downtime to slow down and integrate it and leave some space for it to fully open up and actually like do what it's there to do. It's, it's, I think somehow it's going to blow up in, in faces, meaning, you know, something might happen or, um, you realize like you haven't handled something or a similar pattern that you've been working on healing keeps repeating over and over and over and over and years go by and you're like, why is this still not cured? Even though I've done 500 psilocybin trips, it's like, well, you know, that's where it's, time to like open up your eyes and see like maybe you need time to integrate it or maybe it's actually addressing other other issues where um I personally speak about somatic therapy and how helpful it's been for me on the psychedelic integration path and it is I don't think I've you ever know, heard 99 of that. never oh it's amazing well 99% of the people I interview about psychedelics mention doing some form of um body centered integration practice because you know the one thing with psychedelics, they tend to be very heady, right? Like they're very crown chakra, 5D, you know, like open up into the spirit realm, which is very mental. And it is amazing in healing. And of course, there are healing aspects of it, um, you know, like with ayahuasca, where it's like beyond explanation. But you also have to get back into your body, into the earth, ground, leave some space, calm the nervous system. It's not about constantly escaping upward. It's about grounding down, which then is what opens up. So really having some kind of um, body-centered practice or an embodiment practice to get you like back in your body after big psychedelic experiences, they make the psychedelic experience actually more effective. Like this is where I think people are going to start to realize this after they've done X number of psychedelics and said, well, 
my depression still isn't gone or my anxiety still isn't gone. Well, maybe it's because there's this other piece missing. Um, and I think, I think that's what we're going to see over the years. I mean, it's already happening a lot in this, the whole psychedelics kind of industry is that people are talking about the need for integration, the need for embodiment, the need for the the space and the mindfulness and the the other work that actually helps the psychedelics open up and actually do the healing because the healing's not just from like, I mean, yes, there's some biochemistry and neuroscience behind it, but it's not, that's not the whole picture. That's the like way a I've, piece, you know? Yeah. The way I've kind of always described it is that taking mushrooms, psilocybin, ayahuasca, it basically just like pulls back the curtains and is like, Hey, here's why this pattern, this issue has been occurring in your life. And then it's like, afterwards you close the curtains with that information and then, okay, now's the time when you got to integrate. This is whenever you have the free will to say, do I want to change this? How do I change this? And I think that's kind of touching on what you're saying. Totally. That's exactly it. It's like, it shows you, it shows you really like what it is that you need to work on. And if you're even uh, willing to see that, I mean, Again, this is, I've been around so many people over the years who they carry the same issue over and over and over. And it's like, I think there is a, there is a place where you have to want to see your, your dark side, right? Like your, your, your stuff, like you have to be willing to go there, which is then, yeah, like once, once it's pointed out, then what are you going to do to, to help heal it and to address it? It's like, well, that's where you need like integration, whether it's like somatic therapy or you know, working with a coach or doing breath work or other, you know, like even something as simple as daily meditation. It's like, it's amazing how many people don't have like a very simple daily practice. But yeah, that's, um, that's what I think, you know, again, I think it's going to, there's either going to be a point where people take so many psychedelics that they have no choice, but to face that one thing they've been avoiding or, um, or they're going to realize like, well, wait, this isn't actually doing the trick. You know, yeah, I like, haven't actually flipped that switch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it did the trick, wouldn't we all be like multimillionaires living the dream <laughs> and, you know, every no problems and everything be perfect? I mean, you know, there's right. always something. It's like layers and layers and layers and layers. But um, yeah, the integration is definitely the key. And so what is then somatic therapy? Because you mentioned it a couple of um, times. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So there's, there's, so the, the premise, and I'll do my best to explain this because it's not my total forte, but I actually do include it as part of my programs. Um, so it's a body centered type of psychotherapy where traditional old school therapy, um, talk therapy usually is a very mental process. It only addresses here are my problems and here's some, maybe some feedback from the therapist. But if, you know, for anybody that's actually been to talk therapy, you might have noticed that a lot of people end up in talk therapy for years and years and years and years and years and things don't necessarily change. Um, so one of the missing, missing pieces of regular talk therapy is that they're not addressing the core root of the trauma that's actually stored in the cells of the body, meaning we carry energetic imprints for everything. And so it really needs to be addressed on like a body and an energetic and a spiritual level, as well as the mental level, which is like traditional talk therapy is only addressing like, here are the problems going on, here are the problems going on. But these somatic therapies, they actually have you get into your body and like 
you know, there's, and I've done many different kinds of somatic therapy because there's different modalities. But for example, one of the most effective forms I've found, um, who actually my ex-partner is, a is one of these therapists as well. It's called core energetics therapy. And for example, what they do is like, if you're addressing a problem. So I went, I actually had a core energetics therapist for, I don't know, about three years. And I brought up an issue where I was like struggling with, I forgot what it actually was, but it was something in my business about like scared to do something or scared to be seen or, um, you know, like something that was just stopping me. And we went through a process and they have you do a lot of physical moving. And by the way, I was doing this on Zoom and this is like long before the pandemic. So you don't actually have to be in person, although in person is nice too, but very often they'll have you locate where that feeling is in your body because every feeling we have, like there's, there's a place in our body where we can actually pinpoint where it's located, right? Like you get nervous and maybe you feel in your stomach or you get, um, I don't know, excited and your heart is like lit up and you know, it's like everything is held in the body as well as the mind and the emotions that we feel are, are actually energy. So what they do is they, they work with you to pinpoint, you know, a certain, place where you can feel what's connected to what it is that you're dealing with, like the problem. And then they move you through these, these different exercises. I mean, I have done things like hitting, hitting, um, a big foam cube with a bat while yelling things out. I've done like rolling around on a a roller. I've done laying on the floor, making, uh, singing noises with my voice. Um, sometimes, I work with my, my current therapist does a different version called Hakomi, which is a little more slow, but we'll do like kind of slow movements that address where this kind of patterning is located in the body. And when you, when you bring consciousness to these energetic patterns in the body where it's like, okay, maybe I'm scared of this one thing, or I'm stuck with this one thing, or, um, I'm feeling heartbreak. When you bring these, these physical movements with the consciousness to it, you actually move the energy and that's how you actually get to the healing. And then the, the theory is, is like core energetics, you know, it's like there is a root point, you know, usually most people's problems is actually connected back to some core wound or core belief, right? It's like, um, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I feel abandoned. I feel alone. Like I'm, you know, not, not belonging or whatever. I feel like an imposter. I mean, I can probably name all of the common ones, but there's usually some place in your upbringing, right? In your childhood where it connects to this one point. And if you can go back to that point in this session. So for example, and I, I feel like this tends to work well for people who work with psychedelics or people who are just very visual, um, it just like brings it up. So when I was working on this one problem, all of a sudden I got this image of when I was a kid hiding in the closet, like feeling scared over something. I don't even remember what. And I, I like was taken back to this original moment of fear. And for some reason, like feeling that original place of, you know, six or seven years old, I just started crying. And then, you know, I forgot she had me do some kind of movement to like work through it, like to feel the original wounding, like the original feeling of like, what was that that my mom said to me that made me feel this way? Or what was the pattern in my childhood? And when you feel it, you feel it fully. 
And that's what starts to release it like permanently. And that's right. where it's so much more effective. Like I literally felt a weight, like I cried for about eight minutes straight. And then when I came out of the session, it was like, I could, it kind of felt like after a trip, like I could see clearer. I felt something lift off of me, like physically, energetically. And then I never had that feeling again. It just like went away. So somatic therapy just goes a lot deeper than like, you know, the head and talking, but it addresses like mind, body, spirit, energy. Um, and it's been very, very effective, especially for psychedelic integration, because again, like psychedelics tends to be very heady. Um, but it's really like the body and the energy that needs to be released in order to truly heal. So this is actually the future of therapy. It's growing so exponentially that because I think there's so many people like me out there that are like, once you experience this, it's like a whole new level of like, whoa, this therapy is super effective. So that's so cool because I have kind of almost developed something like that on my own, but I would just use meditation where for me, what I would do is, is if there was like a situation in my present reality, and this is actually something I need to kind of look back on because I went to like a, a museum the other day and um, we were like in the football section. I played football as a kid and I just started getting like a rush of anxiety, like in the football kind of section. And I'm sitting there like, shit, like I'm getting really anxious. Like I could kind of feel it building up mm. in my body. Um, I haven't done anything with it yet, but like my plan would be, and this is exactly what you're talking about. And as a as a uh, quick plug, I talk about in my digital course as well, where you kind of just meditate and you feel that energy inside your body. You 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 try to focus on the smallest point that you possibly can of where that energy is, right? Because you know you think your body is you know certain length width dimension, but like if you try to find that exact point of this emotion, anxiety, fear, shame, guilt exactly like what you're saying, all of these memories will start coming back to you as they would come back to me. And maybe this is a reminder that I need to do it with the football thing. <laughs> um, but I, but it's Isn't so profound. Crazy? Yeah. It's so profound yeah. because like you just start getting all of these memories and then it'll, you know, if I'm, you know, 28 right now, it would be like a memory from when I was 22 when I felt it. And then I keep trying to find the yeah. specific point. It would be a memory from when I was 13 when I felt it. And then eventually you get to that root thing and you're like, huh, you motherfucker. <laughs> You've been with me this whole time. <laughs> oh my God. I know. And I mean, it's crazy because even sometimes the the root, like I've done a lot of this um, and including like NLP, which is, you know, somewhat similar where it's very, it's, you know, it's a very psychedelic type process, but sometimes these roots are like, you know, it's ancestral. It's like, oh, uh, it's not just what my dad said to me. It's like my dad carried it. And then his, I mean, it's epigenetics, oh, yeah. like in his DNA and DNA and DNA and it probably leads back to like however many generations ago. But yeah, I love that. I mean, this is essentially, um, you know, like the the Vipassana technique that you learn, you know, like ancient Buddha was was feeling into his body. You know, it's like this comes from a whatever it is, 30, 3,500 year old technique where it is sensing exactly what you said, like okay, feel the pain. I mean, I actually, I kind of discovered it on my own too. Back when I used to run marathons and ultra marathons, I was actually published in this magazine article because, you know, you would feel these pains. And I, this one time I felt this, I had never had knee pain in my life, thank God. And I was in the middle of like a forest on a, a 
it was a 50 K trail run. And I was at mile like 13 in the middle of some forest. You can't really just jump out and like take a taxi home. Um, (laughs) I remember my knee got this crazy shooting pain and I was like, Oh my God, if I have to quit running, I'm going to like walk, you know, 20 more miles to get back anyways. Um, so I just went into the pain and I like, it's like, and I kept running, but like, I had this vision of like going down to like the tiniest piece of like, where am I feeling it? And then actually like sending it energy and sending it love and sending it positive mantras. And, you know, eventually it just completely went away and never came back again. I mean, it's like, it's amazing the power of our mind. I mean, this is essentially, you know, Joe, Joe Dispenza's work. I'm like, this guy has this, yeah, it's like, this is essentially what he's writing about and teaching. It's ancient wisdom, but it's, it's available to everybody. It's an amazing too. Another thing that it's reminding me of is whenever, and I, and I've started practicing this and this is something anyone can try and though I don't recommend it (laughs) is, is, so we're talking about it at an emotional level, right? Like when you were a kid, when I was a kid, we suppressed those feelings. We were like, Oh, this is quote unquote bad. We need to suppress this feeling, get away from it. And that suppression keeps it there longer. So I saw this parallel um, what was it? I don't know who exactly does it, but there's, there's people out there who will walk along hot coals. And what you do is you get to a super intense meditative state. You walk along hot coals and you don't feel it at all. Well, this blew my mind coming from now a spiritual perspective. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? What I noticed was, is anytime that I would burn myself, we have the same impulse physically, physically burn my hand on something. We would have the same impulse to push it away. This is bad, like resist it. And what I noticed was, is that it would make the blister more severe, more intense, last longer. But now if I get burned, I sit there and just think, okay, just let the, let the thing go through your body. Like let the energy flow through your body. Nine times out of 10, I don't get blisters. Like it just, it it doesn't happen because you're not impeding the energy. You're letting it just kind of flow through you. Yeah, I I agree with this completely. I mean, it's so amazing. It's like we have this ability to to heal and move through things instead of, you know, dwelling on them. I mean, this is kind of, you know, again, like the mastering of the mind. It's like we can choose anything in our reality, including like healing from massive trauma or going through something painful and choosing another way. Um, I just believe that you know, and I, I know I only say this from my my own perspective because um, I went through this journey where it was like, well, on some level, I was addicted to the pain. You know, I was addicted to um, suffering or addicted to, you know, a lot of people like my mom, for example, like addicted to victim mentality, you know, or um, addicted to like blaming the external like, oh, the world is so messed up and it's all the government's fault. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Why don't we just look inside, you know? Um, but yeah, this is, and, and it's just incredible. And the more and more people that are awakening to this, like the very simple thing, it's like we can control the healing of our own body. I mean, this is like numerous stories, you know, Joe Dispenza's of the world. Um, a good friend of mine had broke her neck and like spent, I think it was six months in in a hospital bed. And it was the same thing where she's like, all I could do was lay there and like try to send it positive energy and like, of course it healed great, but you know, they, they actually said to her, like, you'll never be able to sing again. You might never be able to do this again, blah, blah. It was, you know, you hear these stories, these miracle stories, and it's all mind over matter. Is like, she singing again? It's then? our choice. 
Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, she's a good friend of mine who actually does this incredible vocal alchemy work. Um, and she's a beyond talented singer. She was actually on American Idol like many years ago. Oh, but wow. She's incredible. But yeah, the, the story was very, you know, it was one of those like crazy, weird freak accidents. And, you know, it's like so traumatic that it actually, you know, I believe these, these dark nights of the soul type experiences, they bring you to this place of like, okay, you're given this choice of like this or that, or like never singing it again. And now it's become her medicine where she's teaching people this seriously transformational, um, you know, vocal alchemy work. So and yeah, it's gotta you be, know, it's gotta be difficult too, because here's a doctor who we in society have labeled, let's say the bearers of knowledge, the bearers of the bearers of alchemy in a sense. And if they sit there and tell you, there's so how many stories are there? There has to be thousands, maybe millions of stories where people are like told they'll never walk again, told they'll never sing again. Mm -hmm. And yet you still see miracle after miracle occur. And I don't know, to me, there's just like this weird dance at play maybe with whether or not you believe medical practitioners anymore. And it, it, it's, it's hard for me to say because like they're, they're smart people, but it's almost like the system has taken their intelligence and I don't know, warped it the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've had over my years of growth and awakening and life changes, I've had a, a few, like what I would call like near death experiences. You know, I don't know if I was really dying or not, but they felt like it. And, um, what's interesting is two of them in particular, I had done the very typical route of going to like a thousand different doctors and going to, um, you know, the ER and the hospital and taking all the drugs and trying all the things. And what ended up clearing um, both of these like big experiences I had were um, what I would just call like very spiritual um, awakenings, meaning I believe that something like this was happening to me to, to be able to then choose like a new level of my spiritual path. Um, because the, the system didn't clear it up, you know, and to this day, one of the, the issues I had, like no one even knows what was wrong, but you know, I kind of, um, I made some very big mental changes and just my thinking. And I remember I was like, I remember there was this one point where I was like laying on the floor of my apartment in New York city, like feeling like I'm going to die. But I remember choosing to live. Like, like it was a very simple choice where it was like, okay, you're dying, but you could live. And then making that choice and then making different choices in my life then started the healing process. And then I actually, um, you know, I made these, these kind of mental decisions to go about life with like living very fully with the sense of like, well, if this is how I die, okay. But in the meantime, I'm going to just go take charge of my life. And that's actually when the healing started. So it's been interesting over the years. You know, it's, I agree. It's like, yeah, I trust, you know, they've done all their studies, but what's interesting is every big health issue I've had has always come down to a deeper level, like spiritual experience or like, you know, something in my thinking or, um, you know, like, they say everything that manifests in the body is connected to something else, right? Like energetically, spiritually, you know, mentally. Um, so I have learned over the years to actually question like, okay, what is, you know, what is this dis-ease in my, in my mind or in my, my life? Let me address that first. And that's usually when things start to heal.
That's really I mean, powerful. Not to say the doctors are bad, but um, I just now like I take kind of a multifaceted approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I misguided. And yeah. and so you touched on you said multiple near death experiences. If if you're open to it, could we dive into one of those a little bit more? Cause I Yeah. I, I'm not just my mental picture. I'm like not sure if you're sitting there with like you're bleeding out or if <laughs> if it was just like uh, a disease you had or so to me, I'm not really sure how to mentally grasp that. Yeah, I'll tell you about one. And what I find interesting is, you know, being a coach after all these years, I have seen a lot of my clients go through very similar things. Um, and I'll tell you about mine, but what I actually believe is happening is it's this kind of like lack of alignment with what your soul is here to do or what, you, what, your, what your path is. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's work or what or life. But if you're living in such misalignment that your body starts reacting and breaking down and um, showing you like in your face, like, hey, you got to make some changes. Like, that's what I've seen happen. And it's amazing over the years. I've had clients go through this and I'm like, well, your body is trying to tell you something. Um, so for me, you know, I had always I had been on a pretty profound spiritual path since, you know, since I was a kid. And like, you know, I studied psychology in college. I was supposed to be a, originally going to be a you know, a therapist. And so I'd always been curious and always been, you know, on the Buddhist path and meditating and reading books and going through growth. But in 2011 and 12, I, I went through kind of like some dark night of the soul experiences. Like I lost my dad pretty suddenly at a kind of fairly young age to cancer. It was kind of like, Oh, that was quick. And it just, you know, kind of made me question life, like what life was all about. Um, you know, I had switched careers because I, you know, my dad's death made me really question career path because I was like, wait, like if we're just here to like do something we hate and then die, this is ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense to me. Right. So I had already made these changes, but I was in this kind of weird limbo state. And in, it was early 2013, I got sick and I thought it was a flu. <laughs> That's how it started. And it was kind of like one thing led to another. Like once the flu part was cured and I was fine after a few weeks, um, I woke up this one morning with like a big, what I would call like a growth or something like right here on my eye, um, like right above my eye. And I was like, oh. that sucks. Like what the hell is this? And it didn't hurt. It was just like random and weird. So, you know, I went to a doctor and they were like, nah, take this and take that and try this. And they were like injecting it. I mean, it was crazy. And then, um, <laughs> I mean, it's just like strange how it all happened. The day after, I think it was like a week and a half later, the day the growth just like stopped and it was weird because it was like overnight, it was just gone. I actually woke up with something going on in my brain. So it was like, and it's, you know, it was hard to put into words because I had never felt anything like this before. And then, you know, I'm going to neurologists and I'm like, there's this like pain and buzzing in my head, but it's not in my head. It's like in my brain and I can't explain it. And I, I couldn't hear properly. It was making me like, oh, wow. um, like distorted hearing and distorted speaking. And like everything was starting to like bother me. And I couldn't, you know, I lived in New York City and I couldn't be around like anything loud. And so, um, this went on for, I think it was, you know, a few weeks and I was about to get a, a CAT scan. Cause you know, it's like they had done all these tests and tried all these drugs and I'd been taking, you know, it was like this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. And, um, 
And I do remember it was like I was going through a lot of major change. And, you know, I was working at the startup and they had just started running out of money and they weren't going to be able to keep me around any longer. And um, so I knew like I had a job like coming to an end and I was like, well, what the, you know, what am I going to do? Like now I have to go find this other startup job. And, you know, it was like a weird, it was a weird time in my life. Um, so anyways, <laughs> Oddly, the day I was supposed to get a CAT scan, the the head thing kind of started dwindling down. But then, you know, it's like you can't make this stuff up. Then I ended up breaking out into this like strange, um, almost like full-bodied rash that, you know, rash is a rash, but this thing itched like something I have never felt in my life. And it was an itching it was so bad that I was having trouble sleeping at night. Like it was like, uh, like, Jeez. so I, I actually, you know, one of my good friends is a, like a, a doctor who's a very big healthcare entrepreneur. And he kept saying, he's like, this sounds like a, you know, like maybe a, a parasite or a virus or something, you know? And he just, and, and, you know, I had traveled to a lot of countries and definitely picked up on, you know, I've, of course I've had parasites probably from other countries because I've gotten sick in a lot of third world countries before. Um, and he just kind of intuitively said this and I was like, okay, so let me go to an infectious disease doctor. And I'm telling you, I'm in New York city going to infectious disease doctors and no one could figure out anything like, and, and then of course, you know, throughout this whole experience, I was thrown every kind of drug there is like drug, 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 you know, uh, this, Yeah. the only drug that actually worked was a steroid, but then you can't take steroids for more than whatever it is. Like, and I'm on like, you know, doxycycline and like, I mean, it was just out of control. So I finally just started, um, I actually started surrendering to it. Like this rash that I had on my body that was very, very like beyond normal itchy. Um, you know, like I couldn't get rid of it. And, you know, I was seeing all these doctors and doing what I could. And I just kind of surrendered to it. And then I remember there's this is this one day, I don't remember quite what happened. And, you know, there's all these little sub stories in in the middle. Like there was a day I passed out because I was on so many pills that it, wow. I like passed out in my own house. I was getting, um, I was getting like vertigo and getting dizzy and like, not like literally not being able to function. Like, like I couldn't talk to people, couldn't hear music. I like didn't want to be around it. I mean, it was a lot, it was a lot going on, but I remember, and I don't remember why I was sitting on the floor of my apartment, but I think it's, I remember I was talking to my boss on the phone, you know, about to lose my job because they're running out of money. And I remember not being able to hear her properly. And I was like, uh, like my head and the rash and like everything going on. I got off that call and I just started crying. And I, it was like this, it was a very like kind of a spiritual experience. I remember it just felt like I was dying. And I remember that's when this kind of like awareness came through where it was like, you can choose to live or you can choose to die. And what's also weird is when I was a kid, I always had this feeling, like I always say, um, I couldn't visualize my life past like a certain age. And I always had this weird feeling that I was going to die pretty early, like, Jeez. you know, 35 or yeah, it was like just a weird feeling. And I yeah. remember that point felt like the point where I was maybe going to die. And, and then it just, all of a sudden, it was like getting this like weird, like download, you know, totally sober. And it was, um, it was all of a sudden, like everything just kind of came to me around like life and purpose and what I was doing and like, 
you know, every, everything, like this awareness of like, we only live once. And so I remember coming out of that moment being like, kind of like renewed, like, okay, well, how am I going to live this life? And then, and then I had, um, you know, I had a, oddly, I went to Burning Man that year for the first time and, you know, like I kind of went with, I actually remember it was, I bought, I bought travel insurance because the way I saw it was like, well, if I die, at least, at least someone's getting, you know, my parents will get a ton of money or something. Cause I actually was convinced I was going to die at Burning Man too. I was like, you know, it's probably not a good idea for me to go there like this because I was really not well, but I also was like, you know what? I was given this like opportunity and it just felt right. Everything landed in my lap. I was like, fuck it. Like, let me go. And I actually had did, I, when I was at Burning Man that year, of course, it's, I don't know if you've been, but it's a very spiritual place. Like I thought it was just a bunch of hippies, like running around at a festival for all these years, but I ended up having these like, like seriously profound spiritual experiences. And then of course, um, you know, I throw in some psychedelics into that and I ended up having, um, I ended up having a psychedelic that I hadn't ever even heard of before. It's a very long story. And I have never actually met anybody who's had this psychedelic again. Cause it's, it's like a, it's one of these like weird research chemicals that it just happened to be that someone in my camp was a, a chemist. He has a PhD in chemistry and he's also a burner. So <laughs> there you go. I, I, yeah, I took this weird drug that was um, kind of not sure if it was pleasant or not. It was very a strange experience. And it was a very profound um, spiritual experience because it was a very strange drug. Like I've never had any psychedelic like this and I probably never will again. Um, but it really, it had, like it gave me that and being at Burning Man, I think gave me this awareness of, like really choosing life. Like I remember the the psychedelic was very, very long. Like it went on forever. Like it just wouldn't end. And I remember <laughs> there was kind of that awareness, which I know a lot of people who work with psychedelics have this, where it's like, I'm never coming back. Like it felt like I was never I'll coming be high back. Forever. It felt like I was, yeah, yeah. It felt like I was stuck. But then it really showed me again. It was like, it was really com- comes back to these questions of like, how do I choose life? Like, how am I choosing my life in every which direction? Like where I live, you know, my health, um, who am I hanging out with? What am I doing for work? Like, what are my values? Like, and so, um, oddly that experience of burning man, my, my rash. And I think it's really connected to that moment with this, this psychedelic. And then also just the spiritual experience of burning man, all of a sudden, like right after burning man, I came back and like my rash, started to disappear. And then all of a sudden, like I started my, well, I guess it was technically my second business. I started a business. I read a book that changed my life. I started getting really deep into meditation. It was like all these other things started aligning and things started opening up. And then ayahuasca was brought to me next. And I don't know, you know, it's like, I do believe that, and then it's never, I mean, knock on wood, I have no idea what it ever was. I I do think it was some, maybe it was a parasite of sorts, but like, why did no one ever find it? I have no idea. Um, I mean, maybe it was your job that was the parasite. (laughs) Well, that's, I think it was, I think it was a combination of a lot of things. Cause I've, you know, now that I've been coaching people for long enough, like I've seen this with so many of my clients, like I've had clients come to me 
with chronic, you know, like chronic illnesses or, um, you know, fatigue or tired, you know, just tired all the time or depressed. I mean, depression's huge. And when they start to make these simple changes in their life, all of a sudden, like those things clear up and it's like, well, you know, it's not, it's not always just like chemical imbalance or, um, you know, like an actual physical manifestation. I mean, there's many best-selling books written on this fact that our body is the one that's, that's, it's trying to tell us something. And if something is off in the body, it's usually related to something emotional or something that's coming up to be like looked at and seen and, and then dealt with. And I think that's what happened to me. And I made changes and then like, that was that. I mean, it wasn't easy. It was like crazy actually, but I think it was really like, you know, it's definitely a, a spiritual experience, you know? I do. And it's reminding me of whenever I was at my old job before quitting, before starting this podcast, where it's probably the last like two or three months of it, where I had gotten myself down to the point where I was probably working four hours a week, but, you know, clocking 40. And, you know, I was at this point though, but I still had no energy whatsoever. I just felt physically drained. I was just completely like torn at everything. It's like, you know, you're working five hours a week when you're supposed to be working 40. And it's like, you know, I had my roommate at the time who's, you know, sitting there saying like, you know, try to get something else lined up or start working on your side gig or side project while you're doing this. And it was just like, to me, it was like, there's no energy. Like I'm, I'm telling them, even though I'm telling them that I, that I'll be working 40 hours a week and only working four, I had no energy to even be doing that. It was so, and it just mirrors your story so much. I was just like, there was no energy to even put into anything else. And it's like, you know, I was training jujitsu at the time, like, you know, six times a week and lifting. And I was like, maybe I'm overdoing it. And then, but I was, but it was fine. Like it was, you know, but it was, it was really just, and I could see this after leaving the job, of course, that it was the job that was just draining because mm-hmm. I remember whenever I quit, I had this surge of just energy. I was like, oh, I need to quit. I, I was like, just total alignment would be the best way to say it. And it was just like, you know, vibrating <laughs> every hair on your body kind of vibrating like, yes, this is what we've been trying to tell you. Yeah, I and because that, that's actually happened to me, too, Um, you know, back when I had a a job job and this, the same thing started to happen. And I've seen this with so many people, like it's the energy depletion. I mean, the way I see it, and I, I often say this where I say, if you don't start aligning with your soul, it's like, it's going to, the universe is going to do something to you for you. And I do believe that's what it is. I mean, it's like, it, it really is like eating yourself alive. Um, the last like job corporate job I had, um, it was the same thing where it was, I got very lucky. It was this, you know, unlike the rest of my career, it was actually a very easy job with like very minimal. It was like typical, like nine to five when I spent most of my career working like crazy long hours and, um, they were paying really well and the job was quite easy, but (laughs) I hated it. It was really boring. I hated the company. I hated everything that company stood for. And I wish I could name names, but it was like one of the most evil companies on the planet. And, everything about it was sucking my soul. Like I would literally walk around. It was like a scene in a movie. I would walk around and see all these people like literally just sitting on Facebook all day. And I was like, 
why are we all getting paid really well to like do nothing? This is so weird. Like there's not even enough work for us to do. It's like, it was like this big illusion and, you know, the, the company has kind of gone under by now, but, um, but I remember being at that point where I was like, you know, and all my friends are like, oh, you've got to just, you know, suck it up and like, just stay there as long as you can. Cause it's so easy and you're getting paid well. But then I remember it was like the most depressing you know, six months of my life. I was like, this is terrible. So that's actually, I started a business while I was working there. And, um, by the end I actually started, it was a very much like office space, which I always recommend people watch again and again. Um, it was like office space. I started coming in late and I started like not giving a shit. And I was like, I don't even care because this is such a soul sucking job. Um, and finally after like, I don't know, a month and a half, finally someone noticed they're like, you know, gotta like work. I'm like, but there's nothing to do. Um, but you know, they were, they were like noticing that I was just kind of like doing, I was doing my work and getting it done, but I was like not giving a shit. And I was taking these like two hour lunch breaks and coming in at like 10 and leaving early. And, and so I finally was like, it was the first job where I just actually quit without knowing what was next because I couldn't even handle it anymore. And it was like, you know, all these other people were like just sucking it up because it was kind of like the golden handcuffs. Um, but I knew it, it got to that point where I was like, oh my God, is this my future? I'm going to be doing this for like the next 25 years or 30 right. years, like sucking up a job. And, and you know, unfortunately it was like everyone that worked there was so miserable. Like everyone was just like, ugh. like it was such a heavy energy. I, I literally, my friend was like, you should make a movie about it. <laughs> it felt like I was in a bad movie. I was like, this is so weird. All these people hate what they're doing. It's like kind of like boss, the Matrix in a sense. It reminds oh, me of the Matrix. Much, yeah. yeah. So my boss used to literally, I mean, I'm not making this up. She used to like make up things to do because, you know, there was always this fear of like, if you're not busy enough, you're just going to lose your job. But it was this huge corporation, huge with like so much money that they just paid people to have jobs essentially and they got a lot of government kickbacks but i was like fuck this and um but it's exactly what you said it's like this alignment of the soul or this misalignment that like sucks your energy out of you and And i don't think it's sustainable uh, it's not i don't i mean you experienced that i think you experienced that when you got to your breaking point of oh shit like yeah i get to choose life or death at this moment like i can take a choice right now if i want to go this way or that way and um, well, good thing you took the life choice. Otherwise, we wouldn't yeah. be talking. <laughs> wouldn't be able to get this it's wisdom. Deep. <laughs> it's deep, though. I think a lot of people, you know, are going through this ever since COVID started, too. It's like, you know, life has changed and the death is resignation. in our faces. Yeah. Like, it's like people are like, hmm, what do I want? You know, like, or how long am I going to slave away? And it's, you know, and I know this, you know, I've, I've been told that this can sound very like privileged, but you know, I didn't have money. I wasn't, you know, I, I somehow figured it out, you know, but I always tell people like, you can take steps towards your dream without quitting, but like do it while you're, you know, have that security. Like you don't have to quit right away, but like, if you don't start following whatever's coming through your soul and your heart, like it's going to, it's going to cause illness or disease or eat you alive or cause depression or anxiety or, you know, I mean, I've seen everything. It's like, this is our unhappy society. And an interesting parallel, interesting parallel, an interesting parallel that I'm starting to see here though, is, you know, what, what we kind of were talking about earlier when you were saying 
you know, you're getting like these little nuanced pokes from the universe telling you to start like a psilocybin or psychedelic entrepreneur type coaching program. And then bring that back to what we're saying now, where it's like, you know, start taking the small steps. Do you feel like, and maybe the timeline's a little messed up in my head, but do you see, were those, were those messages coming to you before kind of the corporate job a, and then B like, do you feel like had you taken those steps earlier, you wouldn't have never kind of experienced those near death experiences? Mm. Yeah, that's, I, I actually think that's exactly what happened because it was, um, I actually had thought of, so my first business was this running apparel business. Well, I actually had a little business before then, but it didn't last long, but I, I launched this running clothing brand. Um, I had been thinking about that for about eight years before I started it. Like it was just kind of kept coming through and coming through and then, but it was like, Oh, I can't do that. Oh my God. No, that's so scary. Um, and so I had already taken like some steps towards entrepreneurship with a previous business while I was working corporate. And that's when I started noticing like the energy come in where I was like, you know, me and this girl had started this, um, this other clothing project. And even though it didn't actually interest me, it was like her idea and I just helped her with it and we did it together. But I remember how much it changed my energy and made me feel better about my job. And I was like, wait, maybe I can start a business while working. You know, like that was the ideal where it's like I needed money to survive, but I could actually feel that like um, inspiration and like, you know, new energy and like a newfound meaning in my life by doing something that I actually wanted to do. So that's kind of, that's how it started for me is that I felt that I got the bug. And then, um, by the time I was already working at startups, you know, working in, in like these small startup companies, I was like, well, wait a second, if this person can just be a founder of a company and this person and this person, like we, why, how are they any different than me? And that's where I started really saying to myself, like, wait, I am now helping run this startup company, even though it's not my dream, it's her dream or his dream. and that's when I was like, well, wait, I can do it too. They're really not much different than me. And honestly, most of the people I work for were like around my age. Like there I was with like, you know, this 12 person startup, whereas like the founder was 30 something years old. And I'm like, well, how, how is he any different? You know, he just, he was a guy right. with an idea. And the only difference was that he wasn't afraid to start. And so that's what really got me serious where I was like, you know what? I have to start this running clothing company because if I don't at least try it, I will never know what's like, I'll never know if it works. So I knew, you know, I knew I had to try it. And, um, I actually recommend this to a lot of people. I started by calling it a project. Like that's a very good word to use when you're freaked out about this idea of starting a business. So I was like, you know what, let me do this as a project and just see how it goes. And like, not, and I had no attachment and I was like, let me do it for fun. And like, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, who cares, you know, and I'm not going to spend too much money. And so that was kind of how I started it with this lightness of like, I have to do it because I've been thinking about it for eight years. And, um, you know, if I, I'll never know if it works. And so it was kind of like this process of like, take a little step and take a little step. And then, you know, you can't make this stuff up where, um, by the time I went to launch, like finally, like had something developed and I launched this clothing brand, it was quite literally that week. I had, I've been consulting for two different startups and working at two places. They both 
let me go because they both ran out of funding. So, and it was at the same time that my, my clothing brand was launching. So I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. Let me see how this goes. And then next thing you know, the clothing thing started actually taking off. Um, so I actually never, I don't think I ever went back to consulting ever again. I think I had done like a little tiny bit, but, um, you know, it was like, this is where I always say, look, if anybody wants to make any change in their life, just take little steps to make the change. You know, I mean, it's, it's always easier to make, take steps than like burn it all to the ground and then you're freaking out about money or, you know, but people do that too. I just wasn't, that was me. I, I would have been too anxious. Yeah, a lot of people do it. I was the burner um, to the clients ground. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny. I've had clients start my program where, you know, I my main program is 12 months. And I've had clients where um, they weren't planning to quit. And then all of a sudden they lost their job within the first month of my program. And they're like, okay, great. Now I have time and I'll just focus on my business. You know, sometimes the universe just does it for you. Um, right. For me... I know my anxiety levels and I knew that I had to like ease into it because I didn't have the ability to just like quit. Um, But then by the time the universe did it for me, it was like, "Mm." I remember I said to myself, let me give this a try. Let let me give it six to 12 months and see where it goes. And then I could always get a job, you know, and then I've just never had to get a job. Yeah. Where do you stand on like spirit contracts and that whole stuff? (laughs) Your eyes lit up. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I do. I mean, you know, it's it's hard, but I do believe we are here with, uh, you know, like a pre-written blueprint of everything at some level. And then there's free will. Um, but yeah, I do believe there are soul contracts and, and contracts with life. I mean, this is the whole, every time I go through like a pretty profound challenge, which I actually just came out of one like last week, um, I always remind myself, I'm like, okay, yes, this is about my evolution. This is about learning. This is about why I've incarnated here at this time. You know, like we, I mean, I'm always asking myself, like, why did I incarnate now? Like, this is a crazy time to be alive. Like, I do believe we all have some, some reason to incarnate. It's not just incarnate and like buy things on Amazon and die. I mean, maybe for some people, but well, Not when you're on this path. <laughs> no, long past that. <laughs> so the reason that I brought that up because I was interested because I saw like a little theme that you were kind of going through with, um, you know, like for you, you you were in a position where you weren't able to like just quit right away. It was more of like, uh, uh, you know, you're going to take this path, start your little project, and then it, then you got fired, and then it's like, oh, like the business takes off at the same time, or you know, like you're saying, you have clients who start your program and then lose their job when they start it. And they're like, Oh, I guess I have to go all in versus Mm -hmm. what I've noticed in my life. And not just with like the bit, like the um, not just with like the job side of things, but also with relationships where like the, the idea of letting go, I've noticed with me that it's a lot more that I feel like I, I have to make the switch for myself almost where like with my job, I was like all or nothing. It was like, all right, I have to quit and just figure it out afterwards. Or, you know, with the idea of letting go, like it was something where I had to make the choice to let go of it. And the, like I was still trying to fight the universe almost. And so I guess I was curious with your opinion on something like that, like this idea of like, I need to make the choice versus the universe just, okay, well, you've kind of quote unquote done enough. And so I'll 
take the rest out for you so that you have to kind of go this direction. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Um, you know, I mean, I always say, look, like the more in tune you are where you can pay attention to all the signs and the synchronicities and like actually choose from a point of like the spirit guiding you. Right. Like, I mean, I do believe that our soul is being guided and, you know, there is an alignment. And so when you, when you start to pay attention and see things, then it's like, oh, okay. Like you can maybe make it a little easier on yourself by working with it versus resisting it. Um, which maybe, yeah, for some people it might mean doing like, you know, like jump leap in the net will appear kind of, you know, scenarios, which, you know, I always say to people, if you can do that without creating more um, anxiety and fear, then totally do it. But the problem is most people just get so caught up in their head and the anxiety and the fear then it actually makes things worse. And then they're actually out of more alignment because now they're just freaking out constantly. But, um, but yeah, like I believe it's, you know, I think now after so many years of going through the ups and downs, like now I can see things when they're happening and I'm able to work with it. Um, you know, like even the worst of the worst, like I went through a breakup last year. I just went through a crazy experience with COVID. Um, you know, I've gone through some business stuff and it's like, oh, okay. Like I can see it now. I can usually see the lesson in it while it's happening. Mm. And I can see like, oh, this is why I need to go through this because there's something, there's something to be healed and there's an evolution. And so the more I think there's an awareness of, um, I actually just wrote an email about this to my audience yesterday about the contraction, the expansion, and to actually like learn to ride the waves, like just like you can try to push against it and make it more hell, you know, hell on earth. Or like in Buddhism, they say it's like the double arrow. Like you already have an arrow in your heart. You can shoot another arrow in and make it worse. Or you can like surrender to the one arrow, like maybe pull it out lightly. Um, and I think that's, that's the key. And that's how I've made it through um, a lot of crazy, um, you know, initiations and, dark nights with a lot more pleasure with a lot more like, Oh, okay. Like, I mean, that's kind of how I reacted to COVID when it first came on, you know, people are freaking out and I'm like, Oh, okay. Here it is. Like, here's that, here's that thing that's going to evolve our entire world and it's going to be hard. And, but this is written in the stars and it's all okay. And it actually is for something greater. And to just know that every challenge in our lives is actually here to serve you and not to like just make things hard, even though, trust me, I'm the one like just the other day, I was like, cut me a break, you know, like (laughs) cut me a break just for a few days, you know, but so I do believe, um, there's a way to work with it, you know, to be aware and, and then, yeah. And then the reality is we do have free will, you know, like, and then, but I just think a lot of people with their free will, what they're doing is pushing against versus Going embracing with. and like surrendering to it, which is makes, it makes the challenge a lot easier when you just work with it and surrender to it. But if people want to create more pain and drama and suffering, like, Hey, all the power to you. Just why bother? You know? Yeah. There was a, uh, I forget what, episode it was maybe two episodes ago episode 31 um the girl i was talking to she brought up how i forget who who's talks about it but it's like the idea that we believe everything we want is up river when it's like everything's also down river and so you can also just kind of just jump on your raft and like go with the flow and it'll yeah. take you exactly where you're trying to go 
I love that. That's a good one. I really, cause I, I've always said that too. I actually, um, when I first took a meditation a long time ago, I used to get a visual about rivers. Like that was like my main visual <laughs> Love it about, you know, like, cause I, I don't know about you. I've, I've, um, rafted on the Colorado river in these like class four or five rapids that were like scary as hell. And I remember that same feeling of like, okay, remember there's like calm spots and then there's crazy rapids. And the most part, like most people survive. And it's like, then you look back and you're like, Ooh, that was fun. Even though it was kind of freaky for a few minutes. Um, it's the same thing with life. It's like, whenever something happens, it's like, okay, this is not really what I wanted, but it actually is what I wanted because something in me wanted yeah. this experience. Uh, and uh, then it feels better, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, a story, a story that's calling to me. Um, I've shared it before, but it's perfect time for it as well. I, a longer version of the story involves how I was kind of alluded to earlier, how I was holding on to a relationship too long, needs to just let it go. And you're like, yeah, you're shaking your head like, yeah, typical. <laughs> um, and so what happened was, is I kind of found my spot in this place. I found my place in the spot something like that where I was like, okay, like universe, like higher guides, I'm ready to fully embrace letting go. Like, you know, test me, I'm ready to do it, you know? And there was this necklace that I had obviously not wearing it now where it was a shell casing, like a nine millimeter shell with a, with a crystal inside of it. And I thought it was so cool. I saw it as like this polarity between, you know, the physical world and the mystical world and, you know, the way that the physical world can kind of protect the mystical and how the mystical is kind of sticking out of it and X, Y, Z. Now I've taken this through so many different securities. Well, come to find myself in Egypt's airport security. And it's the last, it's the last security before leaving. So I've gone through probably 10 to 15 different metal detectors, no problem, nothing. And I'm, you know, I put all my stuff like on the, on the, on the tray, like to go through the x-ray machine. And as I do it, something in me like tells me to like clutch at my neck, my necklace. And so I do, and I'm like, okay, that was weird. Like I've never had a problem with this before, like whatever. And so I turn to the machine and I walk through the metal detector. The buzzer doesn't go off, never has, but the guy points at it and goes, not allowed. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what do you mean? Not allowed. He's like, not allowed. And he takes it off my neck, takes the end of it off the key, off the chain and puts it like on the metal detector. Now I got pissed. I start just in my head. I get so pissed. I'm like, no, no, this motherfucker. Like how could a security guard be so stupid to not know that a nine millimeters already been fired? Blah, 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 you know, going on about it. Well, I, I was like, okay, you need to calm down because <laughs> this is going to affect your entire life. And so I, I brought myself back and I was like, all right, let's meditate. So after about 10, 15 minutes of meditating, I like realized I was like, dude, this was the test you asked for. You asked to learn to let go. You asked the universe to test you with letting go. And here's your mm -hmm. opportunity. And I was like, yeah, but, but not like that, <laughs> mm. you know? So, so to me, it was exactly what you're saying where, you know, you have these instances of, you know, you get what you ask for, but it's not going to be exactly how you're asking for it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know. Yeah. It's very much. And I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> you're reminding me of a, yeah, it's like the breakup I had last year. Like it's very intertwined with the prayer I had the year before. 
And I'm like, well, I didn't think it would come through an actual breakup, but it was probably, you know, maybe the best thing that's ever happened, you know, like who's to say, I mean, we'll know eventually, but, um, but yes, this is exactly what I believe happens. And it's like, we don't really have many choices other than to make the best out of it and embrace it because the other option is just creating a lot more suffering for ourselves, which, you know, you know, some people can do, but why bother? Um, so it kind yeah. of comes back to the what you were touching on earlier about how you almost like it becomes addicting to like identify with those emotions because very easily I could have sat in that state of anger. Well, yeah. come to get on the plane and the person beside me hits me with their seatbelt and then I lash out at them because I'm not even mad about the seatbelt. I'm mad about this thing earlier, but this like seatbelt mm-hmm. triggers me and then, you know, it creates that cascade effect. Yeah, that that whirlwind of anger and negativity that you just propagate out. Yes, which I believe I actually have an email drafted about this. It's like, I think the title is um, Stop the War in Your Mind First, because it's like, I mean, essentially, you know, as above, so below, it's like everything we're seeing in the collective is like, what are you creating in your own life that's a, that's a war? Or in your right. head, or in your thinking yourself, or with like the person at the checkout line, or... um you know, the last person that was like blatantly rude to me, it was like the weirdest, it was like the weirdest thing. And I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe people just have the nerve to be so rude when like, there's huge problems on the planet. And it's like, the the, the simplest thing to do is just be kind, you know, but yeah, right. this is exactly how it goes. It's like that cascade of like, you know, the arrow and the arrow and the arrow and the arrow. And it's like, ah. I think if everybody could just turn inward and like ask themselves like, okay, well, how am I being right now? And how is this affecting everybody around me? You know, and then maybe we would actually have some hope for the planet, you know, on some level. But I think everything's just going like, ah, projecting outward. And, <laughs> right. It's know, not me. It's yeah, you. Like, yeah. Yeah. The anger. It's and a, I get it. I'm curious what you think about this. Cause this is something I've been mentally trying to figure out myself you know, let's look at this at a grand scale, right? Something like, you know, let's say Putin in- invading Ukraine. Now, if I break that down into a spiritual context lens, the only real reason for war, right, is to, uh, there's a couple of reasons, I guess, but the to sum it down, it's essentially wanting their power, whatever it is, whatever you deem as them having power, whether it's control over land, whatever it's control over minerals or their waterway, whatever. So then I'm thinking, well, you know, if they want something from Ukraine, they think that they don't have it. Therefore, Putin must be in some sort of scarcity mentality. Now, if I mm-hmm. take a step back and look at myself, I'm like, well, shit, like I've had a scarcity mentality around food or money or love in the past. So the next question is, and this is where I'd love your opinion, is what level of me having the scarcity mentality in the past could have propagated its way to Russia? thus influence the war in Ukraine. Hmm. You mean like collective scarcity mentality? Not right. just you. Well, yeah, just not just me, but I guess I'm trying to view yeah. it as like, you know, we we say this community talks about how like, you know, you're the universe ex- experiencing yourself. So, yeah. At level at some level Putin's a version of me in some regards. Yeah. So, has my inability to rectify my own scarcity in my life mm. Is this like a reflection of that in some way, shape, or form? Uh, you know what I mean? Oh like, my god! <laughs> I think. I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, I do believe. I mean, we're all interconnected, and there is a collective unconscious. You know, right. it's like we. 
I do believe on, on some level, this is the, you know, like if we digest, like, um, dissect exactly what is happening in Putin's mind. I mean, actually my, um, former partner was over here just the other night saying it. I mean, he's said things like this before. He's like, look, this guy could spend the last few years of his life, like hanging out on yachts with women and like eating caviar and living this great life. But instead he chooses to invade a country and, um, exert his power for, you know, yeah, like you said, like various reasons, right. Or whatever the, the rationale is, but in the end, it's like, I think with on a deep, deep soul level, it's like this guy is just really wounded. I think a lot of our world leaders are, you know, very deeply wounded people who have not even taken a little bit of look at their own egos. So to me, it is, it's like on some level, it is this human ego at play. It's just, okay, we're seeing it played out on this big scale because it's one ego and, and power or who's like worked his way up to power. But yeah, I mean, this is kind of the, the as above, so below. It's like, we're also seeing this played out at like the person at the grocery store who gets pissed that you maybe like went in front of them, you know, like, or whatever, like they're the road, road rage driver that cuts you off. You know, it's all, it's actually the same act. It's just on a different scale. And Putin's act is worse because he's killing, you know, so many people. And maybe the guy that cuts you off on the, the highway is not that bad, but still it is the same. It's the same act on some level. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do believe this is kind of, this actually brings to mind, um, you know, I don't know if you've studied or, or know about like the power of the Honoponopono like mantra, this this forgiveness prayer no. mantra, whatever First we want to call it. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. I've worked with it a lot and it's like um, you know, I've seen the effects of it. It's a very simple um, you know, I call it a prayer, but it's just a saying. It's like, I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me, thank you. And there's this whole there's this whole history on it and it's about forgiveness, but it's really um, the main story that makes it famous was this this doctor who came to a, a prison in Hawaii and there had been all these doctors or I think they were like psychiatrists that came in to help the prisoners, but like all of them quit because these prisoners were just so hard to deal with and like, you know, angry and aggressive and they all just kept quitting. And so he came in, this is the, the lore, um, he came in and actually just did this honoponopono with each prisoner's file. Like he didn't actually meet them, but his whole wow. thing was about also being um, forgiven him, forgiving himself, being sorry to himself, like saying it to himself. Because you know, if we t break this down to like the reality of all nature, like we are all one, right? Like I am Putin. Putin is me. Like we are all interconnected. There is no separation. And if we actually like see that and then take it to this place of um, what if we tried, like if the whole world actually did this forgiveness prayer and like forgave ourselves and forgave others, and maybe we actually could affect complete worldwide change. You know, the problem is too many people are still caught up in their, their wounds and their egos and their, um, you know, whatever it is, like drive for power or need for control or aren't willing to go there because it's very uncomfortable. It's vulnerable. It's, it's hard to look at themselves. Like, you know, I could go on and on. And so then this is like, it's like the power of the, that fear-based mind, which is the scarcity, the fear, the afraid of, um, not feeling safe, not having enough, not feeling good enough, not having enough food, not having enough resources, feeling that, that disconnection, which in the end is actually a disconnection from, 
self and source. Like it's this, like if we actually could really connect with this idea that there is a higher power, that there is this, you know, God or whatever you want to call source consciousness, um, and really being connected to that and knowing that there's like enough for everybody. There is no scarcity. There is no reason of fear. I mean, if we could all embrace that, I think we would have like no problems on this entire planet. I just don't know if, I mean, they say we're coming into this golden age, you know, I don't know if it's really going to be like thousands of years or what, but you know, right now it's like all of this is being like thrown up in the collective because again, it's like, if we, we see this played out on a large scale, it's like, well, how is this playing out in my life too? Because it is a mirror. So yeah, I do actually think it is representing, like I said this, the, um, you know, the day Trump got elected, course, like I didn't think it was actually going to happen, but, um, my Buddhist teacher was like, you know, totally distraught. And he's like a serious anarchist. He's like, he's pretty hardcore. He's like this former punk rocker. But I remember, you know, there was a lot of confusion about like, oh my God, what does this mean? And, eh. but I remember saying to myself, like, well, who's to say what's good or bad? Maybe this is here for like, you know, a collective reason. Like, you know, there's a reason why things happen. And it's not just like, oh, a bunch of votes. It's like, there's something much deeper at play with everything. I mean, you know, it's, it doesn't sure. matter what side people are on or what story or narratives we believe it's, it is here, you know? Yeah. And that's, and that's really, if you want to take us to the next level, that's something that I've even really been talking about with my dad, where it's like, you know, he, you know, he's got his, you know, side of the team. He believes in certain things that are going to be good for the country. But at some level, for me, it's like, well, why are we putting so much power and so much belief into one person to kind of fix all these problems? It's like, it's like, I only believe that this one person can do it. I only believe that. And it's like, to me, there's a level of, well, like you're, you're absolving all of your power. You're, you're giving it to a, to somebody else, to something else. Mm -hmm, thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I think the, the, the conversation around like what true sovereignty is, is going to come up because, you know, a lot of people think sovereignty is like, screw you. I'm all for myself. And that's actually not what it is, but it's really this connection to, you know, like connection, like, because I think this whole earth is so disconnected, but connection to a, a God, a higher power, you know, spirit and connection to the earth. And then ourselves and really just knowing that like this, this connection of like my relationship with what I believe to be in a greater power is like really where it's at. And if I just look inward, look inward, look inward, we are not giving away our power constantly. Cause I agree. I've seen this so many times where it's like, okay, now we have a finger to point at Putin. Now we have a finger to point at, I don't know, Fauci. And now we have a finger to point at Trump. And now we have a friend to point at Biden. You know, it's like, there's always something. And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, what if everybody pointed their fingers inward, like including Putin and Trump and Biden and all the guys, you know, like all the powers that be like, imagine what potential we could have. Um, I mean, I have a friend who, and I do believe this on some level, if we could ever get there, which I think maybe in hundreds and hundreds of years, we will maybe thousands, but she's like, you know, humans actually have the potential to use our minds and our hearts to quite literally solve every problem on the planet. Like we could probably even change it without doing anything except putting that intention and prayer in and like using our minds, just like you 
don't get a big blister when you get burned. It's like the same thing. We could probably actually stop like melting glaciers, you know, or whatever it is. I, it's, but it would require the power of everybody, you know, like. Well, I'm honestly, I'm totally on board with it. There's a, have you ever read the Celestine Prophecy? Have you ever seen that book? <clears throat> you know, I never read it, even though I do know all about it, but well, I don't think I ever read it back when it came out. I probably should, right? I highly recommend it. I just finished it. And the way it's kind of set up is like through insights. It's like, you know, it's like there's some manuscript in Peru and this guy hears about it and, you know, he gets exposed to the different insights along the way. Well, you know, it's the insights of like synchronicities and then, you know, dissolving your ego and then, you know, looking at essentially childhood trauma. And it's like this whole like kind of adventure book. Well, what it kind of gets to at the end is like kind of what you're saying. And this is like kind of this epiphic moment that I had myself where, you know, I kind of always believe this like almost utopic society where, you know, if we were all following our intuition or, you know, we were all doing what we truly loved, then there would be no need. And I saw this in the lens of money. I was like, you know, there would be no need for money if we were all truly doing what we'd love to do. Like if Jim down the street absolutely loved baking, he would be the baker for the street Mm -hmm. and just give everyone bread. But, you know, someone else would love being the electrician. And this book laid it out really well where, you know, it's, it's basically if we all kind of just follow our intuition, then you know, we're going to be sent on this mystical journey throughout our life that will kind of solve our own world problems, but then even get to this point, kind of what, you know, your friend said and what this book lays out is like, we could kind of achieve world peace or cultivate anything we wanted instantaneously. If we kind of just had our, we had all the blocks removed and we were all following our intuition in the name of love in a sense. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I do believe it because, you know, what I've experienced is when I'm in that state, you know, like in that full flow state, you know, I mean, everybody's experienced this at some level of like just tapped in. It is everything is divinely ordered. Like it really is. I mean, it's like I've seen it. It's played out in my life. Everything like the second I make a decision like, oh, I want more money or I want a new client or I want to do this or have this, like it, I can make it manifest pretty quickly. You know, it's like intention, co-creation. Um, and I do believe that at some level, it's like when we're really just tapped into like, oh, this is coming through, then it is divinely guided. And I actually, I mean, I've been saying that for years, like if everybody did do what they loved, like there wouldn't really be, an, I mean, I don't, I actually do believe there's going to be a day where money doesn't exist on this planet. I don't know if it's going to be in our lifetime. I would love to see it. It'd be kind of fun. But um, I believe it will come down to like, what if money didn't exist? What would everybody do? We would actually just do what we enjoy. I mean, it would be like, it wouldn't be sitting at a desk with a job, like on spreadsheets, creating a product that just goes into landfills. Like, you know what I mean? hundred percent. I mean, maybe, maybe there'll be some, well, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> But that's also the age old question, right? I I know I think Alan Watts is the first one I've heard propose it, but it's like, take money out of the equation. Like, what would you do with your life? Like, assume that it's not a problem. What would you do? And I mean, personal answer for me was to start a podcast and look at where we're at now. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. I mean, but that's the thing. Like, it'll, and, and what I guess I have learned along the way is like, because money is still a part of our system, it'll find you when you need it kind of thing. And it sounds like you're reiterating mm-hmm. that. And so to me, it's like, you know, it's kind of what you're saying. It's like, well, it's going to take time for everybody to kind of get to the state of awareness. 
because I think once there is still this fear mentality, the scarcity mentality around money, we're not going to want to get rid of it because we want to cling on to it. We don't want to let go, you know, and all the layers of blocking comes up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it will be, I think I would love to see something like this play out in our life. I mean, I keep trusting in like the direction everything is going in and, you know, we'll see. I do believe, um, I do believe it's like the world is getting lighter as it's also getting crazier. You know, it's going to be very intense. Like these, this polarity of like, okay, there's this new earth being birthed while there's also a new earth or an old earth being destroyed. And the destruction is very hard. I mean, it's very scary. And yes, there is a sense of like, is this all going to just like end in an instant? Like there's wars going on. There's a virus, you know, there's always something going on. Um, but then, yeah, it's like, well, what would life be like if we all just live from love? If we all, um, if money didn't exist, if, you know, like there wouldn't be, I don't think there would be a destruction of the planet at the level where there is now. I mean, environmental destruction, you know, um, supposed we don't really know the truth about what climate change is really being caused by it. But I do know like there's enough emissions on this planet to be causing problems. So again, if money was not in the equation, like we wouldn't have the level of industry we have, you know, like there wouldn't be what I used to do in my old career was go to, I I've been to China numerous times to garment factories. And when I first witnessed this, I was like, that's when I actually knew I needed to get out of that industry. I was like, I can't like, I, literally almost in, I majored in environmental science. And then I went into the, one of the most destructive, <laughs> destructive um, industries on the planet. And I just, the amount of um, waste that is caused by the garment industry, which everybody can go and look this up on the internet. It's like, there are facts about it, how it's like actually one of the most environmentally destructive, um, you know, like it's a consumer product that's very environmentally destructive. So yeah, if money wasn't part of the equation, like, Maybe we wouldn't have like this and this and this, and we wouldn't have wars over oil and we wouldn't have invasions and, you know, there wouldn't be this level of, of like scarcity. There'd actually be the opposite, which is like, okay, we have to survive. Let's figure this out. And like the guy down the street bakes bread and the farm on the corner, and then you trade this and you help each other out. And I think, you know, I believe this is what we're going towards. I mean, I know people doing this, you know, in certain parts of the world, um, and I believe it's hopefully, you know, one day going to be like necessary because the other option is like, ah, eh, destroy the planet. But, you know, we'll see. And again, even if we destroy the planet, like someone said, well, we're at the brink of a nuclear disaster. And I'm like, well, we asked for it then, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, we can blame one dude, but it's, it's actually all of us involved, you know? Two things. One, I, I personally believe, and I think there are video evidence to support this, the theory that I'm at the point where <laughs> I personally believe that I think that, you know, call it aliens, call it the Galactic Federation. I'm pretty sure that they're protecting mm -hmm. us, that they've actually like disarmed like nuclear bombs. And I, I saw a video back in the day when they talked about, um, well, there's like a, I don't want to talk too much on it because I don't really specifically remember but there was a like a Air Force general who was talking about how he witnessed they were doing a nuclear bomb testing. And or would they have shot that in the air? I don't think they would have. But there was a bomb that they shot that they were testing and some alien came and like basically made it defenseless or like kind of just basically destroyed it in midair. Um, so that has me optimistic. And majority of UFO sightings are seen over top of uh, – nuclear power plants or like nuclear facilities. So 
Yeah. Did you not know that? Oh my God. That's a thing. You just gave me chills. Is that true? Majority of them are seen. I've, I've seen two UFOs. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I feel so much better now. Oh my God. Are they near nuclear like facilities? Yes. Yeah. That, that actually explains a lot of it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I actually have, I'll, you know what? I'll send you one of the videos. Um, one of them was actually back in October and it was very similar to my first sighting, which was oddly also October, but um, in 2016, or I think it was October, it was sometime in the fall. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I do believe there are um, many other beings out there protecting us. And I do believe on some level, it's like no matter what, like humanity might self-destruct, but the earth is not going to. The right. earth is a pretty yeah, uh, was, resilient being, you know? That was like, the other thing I was going to say. Humans might be yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whenever people are talking about we're destroying the earth, it's like, eh, the earth has gone through like 10 different cataclysmic causes. Yeah. Like we're, we're going somewhere. The earth is going to be fine. <laughs> like if we destroy the earth, like by exactly. destroying the earth, it's just going to kill humans. It's, it'll be fine. Like nature's going to just replenish and circle it, cycle it out and be like, well, let's try again. We failed with humans. <laughs> That's exactly what I say. I'm like, well, you know, the earth, I'm not worried about the earth as much as like humanity self-destructing. But yeah, I hope this federation, the Galactic Federation of Light, you know, it's like there's because I've seen the two UFOs and I've had enough, um, you know, encounters to always know that there's something out there, you know, whether it's this federation people talk about or not. I mean, I don't even care because I do believe that there's way more support than we even know about. I mean, it's like, again, like I don't believe, um, whatever one might call God spirit creator. Like I don't believe creator put us here to just live in mass destruction and suffering. Like, I really don't believe that's the point of being incarnated here at this time. I believe we're here at a challenging time for a reason, but, um, it's not just to like be here to suffer. You know, and if it is, hey, I guess that's part of it too. But um, you know, I, I do believe if everybody put in some level of prayer and intention and, you know, like again, turn inward and did the part to like handle yourself first, you know, especially if you find that you're just projecting outward. Like that's I, I laugh, someone like, you know, argued with me on my like YouTube channel today. And I was like, you know what, I don't even have the energy for this. Like I don't even really understand what the point was because, you know, it's like, why, why build an argument? Like, but that's, right. you know, that's the world we're in today. People are just like, and like, who has time to argue on YouTube in the middle of the day? You know, <laughs> no, that's but, a very, but it wise. happens all every day. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, something that kind of comes up is like, you know, when you point a finger at you, there's three pointing back at me. So it's, you know, and it's that age old, you know, biblical thing of why would you point at the speck in my eye and not examine the log in your own? You know, it's a, it's a level mm. of like, who's going to go out of their way the middle of the day to, you know, pick a fight or pick an argument, right? It's somebody who's not doing that inner work. And I think once you get onto this side of it, maybe you don't see it so much beforehand, but like once you're on this side, you kind of see that polarity. You're kind of like, oh, like, I can see that this person didn't get enough love in their life or, you know, something like this. And so, you know, I'm kind of actually hitting an inflection point, like what you're saying, where, you know, you make these crazy statements about spirituality, consciousness, the next world, reality, intuition, and you get people mm -hmm. who will comment back and be like, all right, well, this dude's insane or this dude's a lunatic or, you know, X, Y, Z. And it comes back to this thing, like, all right, man, like you went out of your way to make fun of me, but I, I'm going to give you some love. Like, I wish you the best in your, the rest of your day. Like, 
you know, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't do me any good to, to just dive into it. Like, no, you're the idiot. It just takes me to a lower vibration and takes me out of alignment yeah. with my highest self. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I try to do is like send you many blessings. And also, you know, the world that we're in right now, it's, this is the same thing with my Buddhist teacher back in 2016. I said, you know, who's to say what's right or wrong or good or bad? I mean, you don't know. I mean, there's one thing I know Trump did that was decent. Like that's the only thing I can really name, but, um, you know, it's like, and who's to say what's good or bad or right or wrong with everything going on on the planet right now? It's like, I do believe in the sovereign, you know, everybody's sovereign to make their own choices based on what feels right to them, you know? And for someone to say like, oh, um, you know, you must agree with me or else you're bad, or you must believe in this too, because that's wrong. It's like, well, actually we don't know what's right or wrong. We actually don't know the truth about anything, period. Like, and honestly, the world that we're in right now, I feel less and less trusting of any truth except the one I feel in my heart because, you know, everything is such a mishmash. I mean, honestly, the person arguing with, with me on um, writing like something kind of mean and spammy on, on my YouTube, I was like, actually, this person could just be like a bot. Like, you know, you I don't know. even know if this is a real person. Like, it's not a name that I can Google. It's they don't have any evidence of being a real person. I'm like, it's probably a fake profile. But then it's kind of made us to this point of like, okay, now we're arguing with things that we're not even sure of people. <laughs> like I had like Russian bots writing spam on my Facebook posts in 2020. And I was like, wait a second, you're, you're not even a real person. You're like a bot. Like it's crazy. And that's where I'm like, you know what? Like people need to just go inward and really feel into like, what is, what is your own truth? And and then let everybody else be human. Like, let everybody do them themselves. And then you just make a choice. Like, do I want to hang out with this person or not? Do I want to follow them or not? Fine. Like, you don't have to follow them. You don't have to hang out with them. But like, pointing the fingers and like creating more war, it's like, don't complain about the war when you're creating war. Yeah. You know? Especially like, when yourself. That's where I get like, yeah, it's like you're, you're being a, a hypocrite there. Yeah, it's, it's like until ironic. you can stop war, yeah, within yourself, within like the wars within your own your own interactions, and like stop complaining about war. Well, the irony you got to handle the war in yourself first. The irony is, is once you handle the war within yourself, the outer one doesn't really become an issue yeah. anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the irony. Then of you're it. like, oh, oh, yeah. And the other epiphany I kind of had with good or bad was, um, you know, you can you can look at your life, right? You you look back on a breakup and in the moment of that breakup, you think it's so bad, but then you can see the transpiring effects afterwards. And you're like, Oh, well that actually might've turned out to be good. And then some more events transpire and maybe you think it's bad. And there's a really good Chinese proverb of like the Chinese farmer. Oh yeah. I'm not going to dive I into it. I love that one. Well, so then what it's my favorite. So I'm not going to go through the whole thing right now. Cause I see we're running close <laughs> on time, but the, but the crazy thing on it was, is that you, then take that and apply the lens of time being an illusion. And it like completely aligns that there is no such thing as good or bad because I see mm -hmm. good and bad as being a construct of time. You can only have mm. like this time synchronicity to see these events. And so this instantaneous moment in time, I'm going to label it as bad in two years. I'd label it mm. as good and three. It's bad again, applying the level of time. <laughs> it's yeah, now no longer exists. Oh my God. I love that. This is like a whole new level. Cause I, I love going into the time illusion. It's my favorite. Cause yeah. then it's like, uh, then, then there's nothing to worry about when you realize that. <laughs> I mean, and it's a, it's a truth, right. But that's a good one. I mean, 
this is the whole idea of like being present. You know, this is the key to everything is presence. But, you know, our, our society is so like not present at all. And that's, that's what my hope is, is that people can really understand. It's like, what would happen if you were actually just present in the moment? Like maybe then you would have an awareness of your choices or the way you're reacting or the way you're projecting outward or whatever it is. But yeah, I love that. Like the reality is too. It's like, what I thought was bad, um, I don't know, losing my job in 20, whenever that was, 10, 2010 or 11, it felt bad for that moment. And then it ended up being the biggest gift of my life. And it's like, you're right. If I had an awareness at that moment, they're like, oh, this bad thing. And oh my God, you know, it's like, if I knew it was going to be that I made a you know, four times the income, you know, however many 10 years later, like, would I have cared about losing my job then? No. Like, and that's why like every bad thing that happens to me now, I'm like, okay, like this is hard. Like I feel it, but then I always have that awareness. Like there's something in this, there's always a gift in everything. There is literally always a gift. And if you can just be aware of both, like feel the sadness, feel the grief, feel the anger, but then also like feel the possibility of what could come out of it. And that's where there's like this liberation of like, oh, things are just actually okay. You know, I think this is, this is really this whole idea of like, um, you know, enlightenment. It becomes like like a mental label from the, yeah, 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 exactly. Cool. Well, I know you've got other things you need to do today, but at this point, I'd love to give you the floor. Do you want to talk to the audience? Uh, encourage them, you know, tell them anything about yourself. I'll, I'll definitely grab all your links and throw them down in the show notes. Um, right. But yeah, so floor is yours. Go ahead. Sure. Well, I can be found on the internet at bethaweinstein.com. That's my website. I'm also on Instagram at bethaweinstein, you know, I'm I'm friends with Clayton on there. You can Google me and find me anywhere. I have a few different coaching programs. I have um, a summit about psychedelic sacred medicines, purpose, and conscious entrepreneurship that runs each fall. I also have the podcast, uh, The Psychedelic Entrepreneur, which is actually really called Medicine for These Times, but that's that's the tagline because there's this algorithm thing. Uh, But um, no, I mean, really, all I have to say is like to really realize that you have medicine. And if you're feeling some calling in you, like now is the time. Our world is in major transition and there's no need for you to just wait. It's like, take the steps to follow your dreams now. You know, why not create happiness and joy and fulfillment in your life now versus waiting until you know, the universe does it for you or takes you down through an initiation. So if you're feeling any kind of call towards anything, it doesn't matter what it is, like just take the baby steps, like just give it a try, you know, especially now it's like, if this last couple years hasn't taught us that life is not permanent, like, I don't know. It's like, what what are you waiting for? Right. It's a beautiful way to kind of wrap it up. Well, Beth, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It was so great. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this amazing work and putting this message out there at this time in history that it's so important for people to have these perspectives and learn and and take this into their hearts. So thank you for doing this. And we might have to have a part two because I realized that you kept bringing up your spiritual nature as a kid, but we never even got to it. (laughs) Oh my God. So I I definitely want to hear those stories. Yeah, I would love to know what happened to me as a kid. I had this very strange activation. I'm like, maybe 
I don't know. Maybe I need to call up an Akashic record reader and see what it really was. But well, I'm getting trained. Yeah, I'm getting trained you know. soon, so maybe I could do it for you. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> That's going to be amazing. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. I love the Akashic records. Yeah, uh, that, I've got a whole story about that too. But let's <laughs> let's wrap it up. Thank you so much. Cool. Um, and Conscious Monkeys, check out all the best stuff below. And yeah, other than that, let's keep growing together. 